The following sermon is from City Life Church. For more information about City Life Church, please visit us at clcgreenwood.com. Morning, City Life. How are you doing? Good, good to see you all. So this is the question that we're asking. We're working through a generosity series, and the subtitle of this is, Do You Trust Me? Because all of us have to answer that question. We all have to sit alone with the Lord and answer that question, because that is kind of the pivotal marking question of our relationship to Him. If we trust Him, we will do what He says. If we don't, we will have some mixture of that. And so we're really working through this right now in the whole area of generosity. And the reason why we're doing this is we're building up to Easter. Easter is a very important, pivotal time of the year, every year, that we think we can kind of capitalize on getting people in the door to hear the gospel of Jesus, okay? And here's why. It is 80% more likely they will come to you with you by a personal invitation this time of the year than any other time of the year, okay? So that means we are expecting you guys to have a heart for the people in the city, in your families that you work with, and that you will ask them and invite them here to experience the same thing of the hope of Jesus that you have experienced, okay? And here's why we're kind of building up to this. We need our hearts prepared for what God wants to do in us, not just the people he's going to bring in. And so generosity is the one thing Jesus talks about the most when he is here on earth. Okay? He, he, there are over 2,500 verses about money that had to do with our heart and how it will be tied to it. And there's just a few hundred on heaven and hell, those things regarding our eternity. Okay? So Jesus saw this as a really big deal. It is a really big deal to us. And the whole question is, do you trust me with this? But then we're going to follow this up with a topic that we've talked about here at City Life, but we, we've done a few times together as a church, but we're going to take a much deeper dive into it, and that is this idea of prayer and fasting together. And we've been preparing you for this because we're going to ask the church to fast weekly together. Now, there's going to be variations of fasting. It's not just going to be all food fast for, for four weeks leading up to Easter. If you want to do that, that's amazing. You'll probably get a seat next to Jesus someday. But that's not what we're asking you to do, okay? What we're asking you to do is to walk this journey with us because here's what we know. The only way that prayer and revival start is through fasting and you showing Jesus that you're serious about him moving and doing something about what your prayers are asking him to do. We have been praying that God would move through this city, that he would awaken hearts, that we would see people come to him. And he has responded to that prayer, but we want to take it to a different level. Because when we fast and we move the most basic things out of our life and we sustain from them, we show God that we're serious at a different level and he honors that. And so we're going to do that together as a church. Now, here's what we've typically done leading up to Easter. We have done 40 days where we have asked you to take something and remove it from your life. Something that is you've become dependent on. For a lot of you, it's cell phone use. It's screen time. Um, it, for a lot of you, it's some sort of eating habits or binge watching something coffee, whatever, okay? Now, here's what we're going to change this year just a little bit. We still want you to, to prepare and fast these four weeks leading up to Easter, but we're not necessarily going to mark the 40 days this time, all right? We're just going to go on this journey together for four weeks leading up to Easter. We want you to take that journey with us, all right? So we want you to take it a little bit more serious this year. We want you to really press in that first week where we're going to talk about this, and we want you to really get on board with what we're going to do here, okay? Because the last week leading up to Easter, 
we are going to enter a, a pretty in, intense fast together as a church that we're going to invite you in to do this. And we're just going to stand back and watch God do his thing. And we're going to be excited. Okay. So I know that this is going to be a weird question to ask you, but are you guys excited about this? Yeah. <laughs> because if you are excited about this, you're going to see God do something you've never seen him do before. I promise you. And yes, it's going to come at a little bit of a cost to you, but when you get to stand back and watch him do things that you read about in scripture, that's when it gets really exciting. So are you excited about this? Okay, good, good. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for what you're doing here at City Life, what you're doing in our lives personally. And God, as we start to walk through a subject that uh, you thought was so important to talk about on your few short years of teaching here on this earth, God, that we want to be able to take this serious. And so I pray right now that we'd be able to kind of remove all distractions. We'd be able to remove all of kind of our ideas of, of what we think should be done with money and this whole idea of generosity. And that we would just, for these next few minutes, just listen to what the Word says. Let our hearts be open to this. God, we pray for the people in this room that do not have a relationship with you. Here's what we want them to hear today. That number one... All of the things that they worry about in life with anxiety and stress and worry, those things can actually be answered in salvation through you, Jesus. We pray that they would see and hear that today. We pray that they would realize that, that not only are you looking for freedom for followers of you in this idea of generosity, but you give and make freedom possible through your salvation. So we pray that both groups of people in this room today would be able to leave differently than they came in. We love you and we trust you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be jumping into a few sections of scripture. We're going to recap what we ended with last week, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, 8. We're going to go ahead and pop it up on the screen. Last week, we talked about this idea of moving from pride to gratitude. And the difference is, is where you realize your stuff came from, either it came from God and it was given to you and blessed you by him, or you were responsible for everything that you have, which would be the pride side of things. Okay. Gratitude would say, no, I realize God created me. He made me. Yes, I work hard and yes, I've been successful, but all of that success is from God. And we kind of tried to move that mark over last week. And I encourage you to go back and listen to this. This is a four week series that builds each week from the last. And we want you to kind of keep up with this. But this week, we're going to move from the idea of coveting to contentment. Now, I'm going to tell you, I learned a lot this week studying this. I think you're going to learn a lot too, because coveting is something that I think we don't see very easily in our own lives or the lives of other people. And I learned a lot through this. I'm really excited for you guys to learn this. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 9 and let's see what this has to say. This is kind of our verse that's going to frame this series. We kind of pick up mid-thought with Paul here, and here's what he says. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. Now, let's pause for a minute. This, this is really, honestly, pretty self-explanatory. If you give little, you're going to get little. If you give much, you're going to get much. Now, we don't give much to get much in return from God. We give much because he told us to, Right? So this is not like a, a deal making with God, like, all right, God, I'm going to give a lot away and I'm going to expect this much back and a certain amount back in return. You're a really good investment bank here, <laughs> okay? This is not what we're looking for, okay? But you have to realize and understand that if you're frustrated with what you're getting back from God, how much are you actually parting with is the question you need to be asking. Because a lot of times we get frustrated at God and it's clearly written right here, 
but we don't connect these two things together. So this is really kind of self-explanatory. Now look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Each person should do as he or she has decided in their hearts, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Now, each person should do as he or she has decided in their hearts. This means you have thought about this before you ever come into this building. This means this is a conversation you're having with God. Okay, God, here's my finances. Here's what you've blessed me with. What do you want me to give? What, what is it that would please you in my sowing and reaping? You've already had these conversations. See, most of the time though, we come in, we give some money, whether it goes by in the bucket or we get online and we give it, and we haven't even thought about it at all. We just kind of look at that week. We think, okay, I can probably give this much. I'll still be fine. And here we go, right? But he's saying, no, no, no. I want you to be thinking and praying about this and spending time with me. And this is not just a one-time thing. See, this is something that if I would compare when my wife and I very first got married and what we could give then to my 23 years later with her, what we can give now, that is a massive difference. Why? Is this not a one-time thing? Because if back here in my marriage, with the amount of money that we made together then, I said, okay, this is what we're going to give. God, I know this is what it is. And I'm still only giving that amount 23 years later, and I'm clearly making more money than that. That's not a very good conversation to me to have with God just one time. This is something that continues and you grow in. The more God blesses you, the more you grow. The more he blesses you, the more you grow. This is an ongoing opportunity for you to become more like Jesus. So you have to decide this in your heart first. Now see, the buckets already went by and you're like, dang it, I wish we could do another offering. We can, don't worry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. But the decision is not reluctantly or out of compulsion, okay? God does not want the money that is pulled out of your hands, not freely given, okay? If you literally write a check, put it in an envelope, and you begrudgingly drop it in that bucket every week, you know what? Just pull it back in your pocket, put it in, because God doesn't need or want it. This is, this is not about us getting more money or you being obedient to writing checks, this has to do with your heart to God. That is all he is interested in. And he does not want us to give begrudgingly or out of compulsion or reluctantly. See, out of compulsion would be, all right, you're going to get through this four-week series, and you're going to sit, and you're going to learn, and then you're going to, some of you are emotional people like me, okay? So I've been accused of this in the past. I'm going to get totally hyped up for God, and I'm going to clean the bank account out. That $4.50 is coming in one shot, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going all in. But that would be compulsive, right? Because I haven't decided in my heart what we're going to do. I haven't talked to my wife. Hey, well, how can we stretch and how can we grow here, right? So this is not what he is after. He's not under begrudging giving. He's not under compulsive giving because he loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver is somebody, here, here's the interesting, the root word of this. A cheerful giver is one who's always ready to give, isn't that crazy? A cheerful giver is one who's always ready to give. Well, somebody who's always ready to give has their finances in order enough they can give frequently. See, this is something that God is trying to set you up for. Because when he calls us to meet a need, a lot of us, we're moved by this, and then we go to our bank accounts, and we can't because we don't have any money. 
because we've spent it on us and the things that we want, and we've built a lifestyle for ourselves that does not afford us to help anybody else, even though we want to. See, this is part of the problem that is being addressed right here because God loves a cheerful giver, meaning I've spent time with you. I've decided what's going to stretch me, and this makes me happy because I know that you're growing me, and I'm able to move some of this back here and put it away to where when you bring a person across my path, I am moved by you to meet their need. I can now go to this bank account, and I can meet their need. Isn't that incredible? Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says... God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Here is the crux of the question, do you trust me? Because to work through those other two verses, I mean, those are, those are going to hit right at the core and you're going to decide whether you're going to believe that or not. This is the answer or not. God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, including your finances, your bills, your savings account, everything that you have, he is able to ex- make you excel in every single good work. But there's a moment we all reach right here. We get moved, our hearts get drawn here, we know it's what we should do, and then the moment comes when you have to put this to the test. The moment comes when you have to actually trust God for his promises. And you get here and you know that it's happening inside of here. God is stirring you and he is moving you and he is telling you, just trust me. Read the verse again. I'm able to make every grace overflow to you. I know what you need. I'll make you have it in every single way. And I will make you excel in every good work. And then you go, oh my gosh, but God, I... I've never done this before. I have to part from this. I have, to, I have to write this check. I have to give this money. I have to get online and watch this go out of my account. And he says, I know, and I want you to trust me with it. So the question is, will we? My wife and I came to this early on in our marriage where we had to trust God for this. And we realized that if we were going to be example, be an example to people and get up and actually teach this, we had to live it out first. And I'm going to tell you, man, this is scary, And it seems and feels rough for a period of time. But once you're over that, man, I could not imagine living any other way. And neither will you. Because there's something that happens when you trust God with his promises and they rush in and take over you. You wonder why you never did this earlier. So this is the amazing thing about God's word and his promises. So one of the things that I'm doing is we're working through scripture, but I'm working through some of the examples written in this book, True Riches. And this is a story of two Harvard business grads who were on track to make hundreds of millions of dollars themselves. God captivated and gripped their heart to understand what true riches were. And it wasn't the hundreds of millions of dollars they were going to be making. It was to live generously in their life. And so they wrote this book about their journey that God did through all of the scriptures that talk about this over and over and over again. So I use some of the examples from this. And I want to read an excerpt from this book. It's called The Root Cause of Debt. So it says, perhaps the most pervasive evidence of our lack of contentment is the consumer debt problem. In the most prosperous, large economy in the history of the world, the United States in the 21st century, a large fraction of the population struggles to pay their bills and in fact falls further and further behind in their debts each month. How is this possible? I want you to think about that because you may be sitting here in that exact same spot. 
We call this living week to week, paycheck by paycheck. And if you would look at our numbers and our lifestyle, we should be just fine. But something happens where money just drains out of the account rapidly, and it's hard for us to make sense of this. But this is the root cause of debt. So he goes on to say, perhaps the prevalence of consumer debt in our culture is merely the symptom of a deeper hidden problem. Could there be a sin pattern that is so pervasive, so normalized that we're blind to it, even as it consumes our lives and hinders our ability to connect with and serve God? <clears throat> I want you to catch the last thing he just said. We're so blind to it, even as it consumes our lives and hinders our ability to connect with and serve God. Continual pursuit of our comfort hinders our ability to serve God. It hinders our ability to hear from God. One of the examples that they use in this is, I'm sure you guys heard this in a kid's book, but it was the frog in the boiling pot of water. See, that frog, when it was put in there, was at a normal temperature for its body. And the person just turned the degrees up one degree at a time, and the frog never noticed because it kept acclimating to the idea of this water getting hotter and hotter. And at 211 degrees, it was just fine. But when it went to 212 and the water started to boil, the frog knew it was in trouble, and then he died shortly after. But this is what happens with consumer debt. We, we have this idea and we have this thought process of, I, I just need just a little bit more. And then you get a little bit more and that's not enough. And so we go for a little bit more and then a little bit more. And then we're so consumed by this. Honestly, when we look around, we have no idea how we got there, but it's the same exact concept. So he, he offers a, a thought exercise. So let's walk through this thought exercise. This is really good for me. This is a biblical concept too. Let's imagine you walked in here to see life next Sunday. And you know, our, you know our two elders, uh, Brian and Derek, okay? You've seen them on stage. You probably know them. And let's say that you walked past the conversation that Derek was having in the lobby. And he was telling another person, hey, we just hired this new girl at work, and she's really into me. And honestly, I'm, I'm thinking about sleeping with her, okay? Again, this is hypothetical. If you've just tuned in online, this is hypothetical, okay? <laughs> and you walk by, and you hear that, and you pause for a minute, you take a step backwards and you hear this conversation continue and the other person is not doing anything and not saying anything and this is just going. And then you walk a little bit further and Pastor Doug is like, hey, I, I was at a coffee shop and they hired this new girl behind the counter. She's really cute. And I think I'm gonna start going to this coffee shop a, a lot more. And you're like, what is happening at this church? This place is crazy. And then you walk right back out those doors and never come back again, which is what I would expect you to do. We would never let that happen. We would walk in, and I would hope you would find our other elder, you would find somebody else on staff, you would find a leader, and you'd say, you have to listen to the two conversations I just heard walking in here. But here's the weird irony. Coveting, we hear and listen to all of the time, and it never, ever bothers us. Think this through. How many times have you walked past a conversation or had one yourself that says, man, my car is just, it's just crap, I just want a better car. My house, like, it's okay, but I want a nicer one. This phone that I have, it came out last month, but there's a new one. I need the other one. We're so dumb, aren't we? Like, we just keep buying these. So stupid. Anyways, y'all know I'm being truthful, right? Like, you do it too? Anybody? It's just me? Okay. Anyways, we hear these conversations. We have these conversations, and it never bothers us. Never bothers us. 
Because we've become so used to coveting in our own lives, coveting in this nation that we live in, that it has become normal. Now, sexual sin running rampant in our churches, we would never let happen. But coveting, it's like we look the other way. Why? Because normally we're involved in it too. So this is what is so interesting to me about how we've gotten to this place in, in our lives here in America. When we're faced with something like this, this is so foreign to us. What I'm teaching to you is so foreign to us because we don't see anything wrong with this. And for us to see what scripture has to say about this and then come and measure our lifestyles against this, this is when God is like, hey, this is a pretty big deal. I want you to pay attention to. Let's look at Hebrews 13. Let me show you what scripture says about this. So Hebrews 13 Looking at verses 5 and 6, here's what it says. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself, this is God, said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You know what man can do to you? He can convince you that what you have is not enough. And it comes through sexy marketing and beautifully well-written script that gets you to buy in. That's what man can do to you. And if you fear you're missing out on something, this is exactly what is going to happen to you. And it's exactly what's going to happen to me. Look, go back up to verse 5. Verse 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Why is it anytime you and I get extra money, it excites us inside of here, doesn't it? You got to be honest with me. Don't leave me hanging on this one, doesn't it? Okay, good. We're all humans and we're being truthful this morning. This is good. Something happens like I get a check in the mail I wasn't expecting. It's like, oh, dang, this is amazing. What can we go buy, honey? <laughs> Like there's just something that happens. And it says to keep my life free from that love of that. Is there anything wrong with that? No. But if that's what I live for and that's what I love, this is where this disconnect happens. This is where coveting comes into play. And it runs so rampant in my life. It's the first thing I think about. And it's not, hey, God, you gave me this. I wasn't expecting it. Do you want me to give this to somebody else? What do you want me to do with this? Totally different change of conversations when we move from coveting to contentment. What I want you to understand about this is there's one thing that is always tied to the sin of coveting in scripture, sexual sin. Go back to verse four here, fellas, Hebrews 13, four. Here's what it says. I'm going to read from my Bible. (laughs) I threw them a curveball. They weren't ready for this, so I'll give, it, I'll give them that one. Okay, here's what it says. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Look at verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Paul wrote later in Corinthians, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
These two things are always tied together. We can walk into a church, hear sexual conversations that are going unrepented of, and we would be mortified and take this to the leaders, but we are just fine with coveting conversations happening all around us and in our own conversations. Isn't that crazy? And these two things are tied together all through Scripture. What Paul had to say was, these are really harsh words. Like, we would go, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Like, if a dude is continually cheating on his wife, claiming to be a disciple of Jesus, there's no way that that dude is, has an inheritance in, in the kingdom of God. There's no way. But then when we go, oh, yeah, but I mean, the guy, he works hard. He's worked for everything that he has. He has multiple vehicles. He has a home. They take really nice vacations. Yeah, I mean, he gives a lot of money to his church. What's the problem? See the difference in these conversations? These things are always tied together and it has to do with your heart. Why is it that we would think, man, your heart is in such a terrible place if you would continually be sexually immoral, but you're okay as long as you give enough money to the church if your heart is not tied to Jesus here. So this is this weird irony that we live in being in the United States of comfort because this is everything that we strive for here. This is everything that we are literally constantly propositioned to buy into. And this whole idea of moving from coveting to contentment, man, this is something that's going to stretch us pretty good. Here's the definition of coveting. It is simply the belief that if I had more, I would be more happy. It's simply the belief. If I had more, I'd be happy. I'd be more happy. So, to be clear... Being content doesn't mean we can't enjoy a nice lifestyle. But the question we should start asking is, how much can I give away rather than how much can I keep? It changes everything about the way that we live. For an example, the guys in this book, one of them is a multimillionaire. The other one is a multi-hundred thousandaire. I don't know what that's called. They have both sat and decided that their lifestyle cap would be $100,000 a year. And so they, although make 10 times that amount of money, one of the guys, they have decided they will never ever live on more than $100,000 a year. Why? Well, not so they can write a book, tell people about it and make more money. Weird irony. (laughs) So they could literally put their money where their mouth is and set this charge. Now, $100,000 provides a pretty nice lifestyle. It's not like they're going without. They're not in poverty. They could be doing far better than they are. But he said, let me be clear about something. This is not a poverty gospel. Us moving from into a contentment stage rather than always coveting, that doesn't mean I need to be homeless. That doesn't mean I need to walk everywhere, take public transportation or ride a bike. He lives on $100,000 a year. It's a pretty comfortable lifestyle. But he could live as a millionaire and he chooses not to. Their whole entire family has made this decision together. So I'm going to show you something that's pretty extreme. Okay. Now, what I want you to understand about this is a few things before we get to this story. We are going to be called to sacrifice as followers of Jesus. There is a heavy and a high buy-in for us being his true disciples. Now, what I'm about to read you is from another nation in the world where the gospel is illegal. But I want you to hear how they prepare for their way of suffering versus how we are going to have to prepare for ours, okay? Now, let me read this story to you. 
They don't list the nation because if anybody found out, they could be in some pretty serious trouble. But here's the first conversation this American pastor had with this, this pastor in another country. They are experiencing explosive growth in their Christian population. He said, how are you guys doing this? He said, it's pretty easy. We have a five-fold plan to grow the church. Each day, a Christian should read the Bible, pray, talk about Jesus with someone, and expect a miracle, okay? Now, those first four make sense to us, right? We tell you the exact same thing. Be in your Bible, pray, share the gospel with somebody every day, and expect a miracle to happen, right? Those are normal, common things for us here in America. But their fifth one is to develop a theology of suffering, to develop a theology of suffering. And this is where we here in the U.S., we tend to get off just a little bit. So here's this story. Sitting cross-legged on the dirt floor, halfway around the world, our friend ate a skimpy bowl of gruel that his host had given him. The host wore facial coverings so he could only hear their voices. He says, aren't you going to eat? They said, no, we are fasting. Our ordeal begins next month. His hosts were Christians who had snuck out of their oppressive anti-Christian nation to seek spiritual and theological training. He was visiting them for only one day and had just joined them at their secretive rural retreats. What do you mean by ordeal? We want to go back home to teach and train our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we return, our extended absence from the country without a visa will get us in trouble and we will be punished. We will be imprisoned and we will be beaten tortured and interrogated. This will last for months or even years. Afterwards, they will let us go and then we can go minister. Eventually, if we are discovered, we will be executed and only then will we have rest, eternal rest in Jesus. Even their veils, his host later explained, were torn in preparation for what was to come. Each person wore them to protect one another's identity so that later under torture, they would not crack and identify fellow participants in the training. Despite the somber circumstances, however, these pastors in training were peaceful, resolute, and calm. Not only were they financially poor, they were also facing the threat of imminent torture and death. Man, this is a different level. I get it. This is something that we will never have to deal with in this country. But this is what they understood their theology of, of torture and surrender had to look like, this whole idea of suffering. You have to develop the same thing for us. This isn't meant to like make you feel bad about yourself. This is all about grace. God did not have us be born in a closed country to the gospel, get saved and live this life. That's, that's not what he called us to do. We don't need to feel bad about that. What we do need to do is pray crazily for these people because that is where God has had them be. But where he's had us live is in a lifestyle of comfort where we can literally have anything that we want. So in a culture where we can work hard enough, make enough money to buy whatever we want, to have whatever lifestyle we choose and have whatever luxury luxury we can afford, do you realize that that is more detrimental than this lifestyle right here? You want to know why? I mean, think about this. They're only facing death for getting caught for sharing the gospel. You are facing a lifetime of buying into the garbage system that more is better, and you're going to stand in front of Jesus one day and hear that all of it was for nothing. Ugh. That, to me, is the most grueling thing I can think about in my life. 
Have I bought into the system of American comforts or have I bought into what Jesus told me to do and be generous with what he has given me? And this is why we have to answer the question, do you trust me? They clearly trusted God. So much to the point they veiled their face. So under interrogation, I couldn't say, okay, fine, it was Tony. Tony's one of the other ones with me. They literally didn't know because his face was veiled. So they wouldn't crack under pressure because of the mission. They didn't care if they died for this. They knew what was coming and they developed this theology of suffering around it. You and I, listen to me, this is what is coming for us. A day when all of us go down on one knee, recognize God as who he is as Lord and Savior. And he's going to say, what did you do with the life that I gave you? And we have to answer that question. This is what's coming for you. I don't know when. It could be this afternoon. It could be in 80 years. I have no idea. Neither do you. What we should be preparing for is that answer. Because this is why he raised you up and rescued you and set you free and said, now go live and give generously because I gave so generously to you in salvation. See, church, this isn't about getting more money from you. Nothing like this has everything to do with your heart and how you're going to answer that final question. So the question you need to walk through now is how are you doing up to this point? And again, hear me, grace upon grace upon grace. If you were to say, if I died today, I would hate the answer I would have to give to him. Okay, now you've recognized it. That's good. Your opportunities are, you now get to confess this to him and you get to turn and repent from this today. This is what the beautiful thing about Jesus. He's not here to beat anybody down. He's here to say, look, I just want you to realize and understand this. Maybe you didn't know this before. Maybe you were never taught this before. Maybe nobody ever told you this is the way I expected your life to be lived. So now you know. Confess it to me if you're not living like this. And let's get back on the right track. Or let's get on the right track. See, church, the thing that is so intriguing to us about a lifestyle that constantly supports what we want to do with our life is it's really fun. I mean, it's so fun to look through vacation pictures and go, man, that was so amazing. That five and $10,000 vacation we took and man, I, I can't wait to do it again next year. We'll, we'll have the credit card paid off by then so we can do it again. Sound familiar? <laughs> and we look and we look at Christmas presents that our kids open and we look and then they're playing with the boxes, not the toy and we wanna shoot ourselves. <laughs> and like we look at all these things and man they have such good memories and they bring such joy to us and they're so much fun but they're just as temporary as that tiny little piece of joy that they bring because it's not really joy it's actually happiness which is very temporary what Jesus is after is true actual joy with contentment so here's the two keys to contentment you ready margin and enough. Margin and enough. Let me explain. If you have a salary right now that would be considered kind of average or below average, you have to create margin for yourself. What this means is you have to be able to scale your lifestyle to where every single month you have excess to be able to do what God wants you to do. That is called margin, right? Now, 
For some of you, you have paychecks that, man, they're large. You're in a totally different tax bracket. You have to decide what enough is for you. Just like these guys in the book, they could be living a million dollar lifestyle. They said their enough is $100,000, okay? That sounds extreme to us. Like, why would you do that, man? You could make it half a million dollars and still be very generous, true? But they knew that their hearts would be tied to constantly wanting more and that there would be no contentment in that. And I know that it sounds weird, probably if anybody in another country is reading this book and go, you decided to scale your life back to $100,000 a year? Wow, that must be nice. But this scales at every level, okay? That's what I want you to understand. This scales at every level. So I wrote something down. I wanna wanna take for an example the $100,000 salary, okay? We're gonna use this for easy numbers. Here's their breakdown. The top that comes off of theirs, they do 15% taxes, 15% tithe, 15% savings, okay? That's how their breakdown works. That's 45% of their income that comes off of the top automatically immediately. That leaves them with $55,000 to spend on themselves. Now, we hear that and go, $55,000, that's not a lot of money to live on. Now, listen, understand if you're like out of college and you're making 12 bucks a year, like I get this, like just follow me for a second, okay? Here's kind of the breakdown. Your insurance is going to cost about $4,000 a year. Your house is going to be $12,000 a year. Your car is going to be $4,000 a year. Your food is going to cost you ten dollars a year. Your utilities are going to cost you $4,000 a year. Your gas, your fuel is going to cost $6,000 a year. Your phones are $4,000 a year. Your internet's $1,000 a year. Even throwing a $5,000 vacation in there and a $5,000 miscellaneous fund, that's $55,000. That doesn't sound like a bad lifestyle to me. Do you? That's not that bad, right? But they save, tithe and save 30% of their income, their taxes are over 15%, and they make this work. Now, I know that this may be a stretch for you, and and us hearing these numbers doesn't make a lot of sense, because for us to give away 45% of our income is literally crazy to us. And it took some time to get here. What I want you to see is we have to either live in margin, or we have to decide enough. These are the two key components to contentment. So I'm going to do a little bit of an exercise with you. I want to read you something. Tuition in Jesus's school of discipleship is set on a sliding scale. The price of admission is everything that you have. But if you enroll, you gain everything the God of the universe has to offer, including eternal life. The high cost of following Jesus is acceptable only if we believe in the reward. Profit is what you gain minus what you invest. You've got to invest it all. But your reward is far bigger than you can imagine. God says, give me everything, all that you are, and I'll give you everything, all that I am. Isn't that incredible? You have to think about this enrollment in God's kingdom of discipleship. It is going to cost you everything. And I'm not going to lie to you about that. But you giving everything that you are gets God's everything. And that is a far greater return. So the question is, where are you at with this? We know what the scriptures say. I could read a thousand more to you. Literally, there's 2,500 verses about scriptures in scripture about this. We just looked at two. How is this shaping a bit of your theology on this? To move from coveting to contentment. 
And look, I know I've just thrown a lot at you and you're processing this and you're understanding this and you're not gonna do this like right now. But can I beg you to not just shelf this here today? Can I beg you to not just keep this conversation here and maybe come back next week and hear the third part and the fourth part after that? Like, can I, can I just beg you to do something with this? What these Christians were preparing for was their life to end and they knew what the cost was gonna count, the, the cost to count was. What you need to prepare for is the end of life, which for a lot of us seems really far away. And God is going to ask the question, I gave you this, what did you do with it? This is what the rest of your life needs to be prepared to answer. And this right here is the thing Jesus saw the most important to teach about when he was here. This is a pretty big deal. So, let me ask you, both groups of people, something in the room. If you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, here's what I know about your life. You, you may have a fantastic life. You may make lots of money and have everything that you want. But you and I both know that something is off inside of here. You don't know what it is. It doesn't make sense. But I was there too. What I can tell you is that freedom that you're looking for, that you cannot wrap your mind around, that no matter what you pursue, you cannot find, is your surrender to Jesus. I know that that sounds odd to you, to think that hope and the, the, the leaving of anxiety and stress and worry, all of that stuff is found in Jesus. That doesn't even make sense. I get that. Because most of us don't equate God with salvation. We don't equate God with the absence of fear. We don't equate God with my life now being whole finally. We never put that stuff on him. What we normally put on him is he's a jerk. He wants all my money. He just wants me to follow all these rules. That's normally what we put on God. But I assure you from my life being a testament to that, that is not at all who God is. What he is saying is, look, you've done this for this long on your own. If you surrender all of that to me, I'll show you what true freedom actually looks like. I'll show you what it means to actually be able to live like this. But see, here's the thing for, that, for those of you in the room that are here in this, this position. You have to surrender it. He's not going to take it from you. We make this opportunity possible for you every single week. We have these couches set up back there in this non-threatening environment that you get to come back and ask whatever question you want. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to look at you weird. Nobody's going to do anything except listen to you and try to answer your questions to the best of our ability. But we know you're going to have questions and we want to talk through those with you. So as soon as I'm done praying here in just a minute, we just encourage you to go back there and start the conversation. We're not going to try to manipulate you or force you to make a decision. We just want to start this conversation with you. But for those of you in this room that are followers of Jesus, I, I need you to listen really closely to me, okay? You have to work through this. You have to. There is no option for you. You've surrendered your life to Jesus. If you have gotten off of what Jesus expected you to be living a life of generosity, you have to do something about it. Maybe you didn't know. Okay, but you do now. There's plenty of scripture we can work through together where you have to sit and you have to go back to God and go, I know this now. I've not lived my life like this. I've been caught in the trap. Will you please forgive me? He'll say, yes, I do. Then we get to move on. Then we get to do what the Bible calls repentance, where you stop, you turn around, and you move away from that. This is why we're here, to walk with you with these things. 
So we want to help you too. If you need prayer, go back to those couches. Let's start this conversation. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. God, we know how much you would be honored if our lives were lived generously. We know that if our hearts were not tied to the false things that this world offers us, that we could be so freed to live in such different ways that it would blow our minds. So I pray for the both groups of people in this room. The ones that don't have a relationship with you, God, give them the courage to move out of that seat, go back and just start a conversation with us. But the followers of Jesus in here, give them the courage to confess that they've not been living this way. Give them the courage to do something about this, to repent and to move away from this and to move towards you in generosity. God, we love you and we trust you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions, you need prayer, meet us in the back.